to Park Valley Church's Sermon of the Week. It doesn't matter if you have been a Christ follower for years or new to the Christian faith, you have come to the right place. Listen in as one of our campus pastors shares how to apply biblical truth in a tangible way. As you listen, we pray you have an encounter with Jesus that leads to real and lasting life change. Amen. Man, what great worship this morning. Holy cow. My goosebumps have goosebumps. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention about those mission trips is if you are interested, please go to the website, parkvalleychurch.com forward slash missions. You can sign up, you can um, learn more about it, some of the details and things like that. So if you have more questions, please take, the, take a look. So we're going to be starting a new series this week called The Return. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at the end times and the return of Jesus Christ. Now, given all that is going on in the world and the fear and concern that recent events have created, I think it's important to talk about these things. I mean, first of all, because we want to make sure that we are not uninformed, or worse, misinformed. We also want to make sure that when we look at these world events, that we are filled with, with confidence and with hope, and not with fear. And lastly, we also want to be encouraged by the truth and encouraged to share the truth. So eschatology is the doctrine of end times. It's the study of the final events of the history of the world and of humankind. Now, for every... For every prophecy in Scripture about Christ's first coming, there are eight about his second. But many look at eschatology as an area of theology that's to be avoided. But it's an important one to understand because it impacts how we should live our lives. Eschatology can be confusing. It can be distressing. It could even be scary. And whether you have read all of the Left Behind books multiple times, or you would rather read Leviticus than even touch Revelation, it's important for us to have an understanding of eschatology. And I, I think some of the fear and that reluctance to study what God's Word says about the end times is really rooted in not knowing or not understanding it. It kind of reminds, it reminds me of this story. There was a Sunday school teacher who asked her class, how many of you want to go to heaven when you die? Now, everyone raised their hands except one little boy at the back of the room. Not only did he not raise his hand, but he started making his way to the door. So the teacher comes over to him and says, Johnny, don't you want to go to heaven when you die? And he's like, oh, when I die? Yeah, I thought you were fixing to take a load right now. So I think we, we look at eschatology sometimes like Johnny. Not knowing, not understanding will change how we respond to it. So our goal in this series is, is to know and to understand the end times. Because when you know the truth and when you understand the truth, you realize that it isn't a message of fear. It's a message of hope. So one of the hardest parts about preparing this message is really just the amount of material that we have to dig into. We could spend months going through it, but my hope in this series is to give you enough information to answer some of your questions, 
but not so much information that you tune out completely. I also hope to just encourage everyone to dig into God's Word, to read it, to study it, to seek and find the answers that you're looking for. So you guys ready? Yeah, that sounded enthusiastic. All right. All right, well, let's get into it. All right, so the first thing is you should have gotten a card like this when you came in. Now, I know it's a little bit difficult to see, um, but it's a basic timeline of the end times. This actually is an updated version of that, and I will have these ready next week. I made some changes after they printed it. So you can use this as a reference for the series. You can use it you know, as a reference for your own studies. Um, like I said, there's a lot going on, arrows going up, arrows coming down, but I think it will make more sense as we go through this series. Now, our focus this morning is right here. You are here. That's where we're going to start. Because Jesus has already come down to earth the first time. Jesus came down in a manger. He died on a cross. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost and indwelled all the believers. So all of these things have already happened. That means we are here. We're right here in the middle of the church age. Now, the church age is that period of time between Pentecost and, be and the rapture. It's the period of time where the church is on the earth. Now, since we are right there before the rapture, that's why we're going to start with the rapture, because it's the next event in God's prophetic calendar. And there are three main passages in the New Testament that tell us about the rapture. John chapter 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. They all talk about it, but we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians because it, it gives us the most complete picture of the rapture. So Paul wrote this letter to the church at Thessalonica so that they wouldn't be uninformed. They were concerned about the timing of the rapture. They were afraid it had already happened that they, and that they had missed it. They were also worried about believers that died before Christ's return. They didn't know and they didn't understand, so Paul wrote because he wanted them to know. He wanted them to know the truth. He wanted to explain to them, and through them, us, that death isn't the end. It's not the end of the story. He also wrote to encourage them with the hope of the resurrection. So let's read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring him back, or bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds 
to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Paul wanted them to understand this so that they would be encouraged. That encouragement applies to us as well. The end times don't have to be scary. Now, you also may notice in that passage of Scripture that Paul doesn't use the word rapture. In verse 17, Paul says, caught up into the clouds. The Greek word for that is harpazo, and that means to catch up or to carry away. When it was translated in Latin for the Latin Vulgate Bible, the word was translated as rapio, which is the root for the English word rapture. So to be caught up in the air means rapture. Now Jesus will come down and we will be caught up in the clouds to meet him. Connor, can you show that timeline again? So that's why this arrow doesn't come all the way down. Jesus is not coming all the way down. We are going up to meet him. We are being caught up into the air. Um, he says, first, God's people from every era, every believer who has ever passed away will rise from their graves and meet Jesus. Then all who are still alive will rise to meet him, and we will all be with the Lord forever. So we don't have to fear the end times. We don't have to fear death because we have an upper taker, not an undertaker. In the King James Version, Paul says that he doesn't want them to be ignorant. He doesn't want them to be uninformed when it comes to those who have already died. He wants them to know so they don't, they don't grieve without hope. You know, it's normal to grieve loss, but it's different for Christians who are sad for the passing of another believer. That kind of sadness is more like it's more like the sadness of seeing someone off on a long trip because you know you're going to see them again. It's a different sadness. Death is not the end of the journey. It's the beginning. We don't have to be afraid of death because we have hope in Jesus Christ. We believe that he died and he rose again and that he has promised that same miracle for each one of us. Now, those who don't know Christ grieve without hope. But, no, but death holds no fear over those that believe in Christ. So what about the, the whole dead rising from their graves thing? Are we talking about some kind of trippy episode of The Walking Dead? You know, what does that look like? What, and what happens to a believer who dies before Jesus comes back? What happens in between then and the rapture? Well, I want to answer the second question first. Some translations refer to those that have already died as those who are asleep. The Bible uses sleeping uh, to describe death often because a, a body, a dead body, looks like someone that's sleeping, so it makes that comparison. But it doesn't mean a literal sleep. Now, there are some groups, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists and the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they've taken this reference to sleep as the basis for a doctrine called conditional immortality, which means soul sleep. It's their belief that the soul rests after death, that it's in some kind of inert, unconscious state, 
or that it ceases to exist altogether until the final resurrection. It, it ceases to exist or it's in resting, or it's resting until that final resurrection. But a thorough study of the Scripture, when you dig into the Scripture, it shows us that that sleep metaphor is for the body, not for the spirit. It's not for the soul. So this belief is counter to what the Bible teaches us. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when a believer dies, the body goes to the grave and the spirit goes to be with the Lord. So then believers who die before the rapture are not waiting in some kind of holding area. They're not in some kind of stasis. They are present with the Lord. So that leads us back to the first question. Now, when Jesus comes at the rapture, the believers that have died before the rapture will come with him to reclaim their resurrected, glorified bodies. And then the believers who are still alive are caught up to meet the Lord in the air with glorified bodies. Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. That's what the Bible tells us. So it doesn't look like the walking dead. These are glorified bodies like the body of Christ when he came back after his resurrection and appeared to the disciples. Now, Paul makes it very clear that this event will happen, but he doesn't say when. The timing of the rapture in the chronology of God's prophetic plan is something that's caused a lot of debate among Christians. Most, maybe not all, but most Christians believe that there will be a seven-year period of tribulation that comes before the battle of Armageddon and before the triumphant return of Jesus. The debate is where does the rapture fit into that final seven-year period. And there are four basic views on that. The first is a pre-tribulational rapture. So the rapture happens before the tribulation. The second is a mid-tribulation rapture or a pre-wrath rapture. So this rapture happens three and a half years into the tribulation, but it happens before the great tribulation. A third view is a partial rapture. Now, those who believe this believe that only faithful Christians will be raptured, and unfaithful Christians will have to suffer through the tribulation. And let me just say now that the Bible doesn't support that concept at all. The fourth is a post-tribulation rapture. So the rapture happens at the end of the entire seven-year tribulation. Now, everyone believes that their position regarding the rapture is biblical, and they can can and will use Scripture to support their position. And it can make the timing of the rapture confusing to understand, which really leads to a fifth view of the rapture, pan-tribulation. You don't know when or how it's going to happen, but you believe it's all going to pan out. Now, I will say that my position, the position of Park Valley Church, Uh, is that of a pre-tribulation rapture. And that's not because we are filled with wishful thinking, but because the pre-tribulation rapture, that position is biblically correct. The key is really that thorough study of the Scripture. 
I didn't put this one in your notes, but 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says that the believers were looking forward to Christ's return. It doesn't say that they're looking forward to the wrath of God in the tribulation. They're looking forward to his return. In 1 Thessalonians 5.9, the Bible says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have an appointment with God's wrath because of sin. But that appointment was canceled by Jesus on the cross for those who believe in him. The whole context in that verse is that the believer is rescued from the wrath of God. The tribulation is God's wrath on the world. And then Revelation 3.10 says, Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. First, we don't belong to the world. We belong to Christ. That's what Paul said in there, those who belong to Christ. Second, the obedience of, of that command to persevere is in the past tense. It shows that it was something that the Christian has already done before the great time of testing, a time which has not yet come. Therefore, therefore that means the, the protection is from the, from the time of testing that will come, and that points to a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, whatever your, your individual stance on the timing of the rapture is, don't let it be a, a source of division in the church or you know, a source of conflict with other believers. As important as eschatology is, there are room, there's room for different views. Where we have to have unity is in Christology and in soteriology, Christology being the, the study of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. We have to have unity when it comes to Christ and when it comes to salvation. There's room for different ideas when it comes to the end times. So, with that in mind, let's look at why the rapture could happen today and how it impacts our lives. First, the rapture could happen today because the rapture is a signless event. Unlike the second coming of Christ, which will be preceded by many signs, there are no signs that will precede the rapture. If you look at the timeline again, you can see that there's nothing before the rapture. It's just the church age. There's no look for this or look for that. Things may happen, but nothing must happen. It could be today. It could be years from today. That's called the doctrine of eminency. The rapture is imminent, but that doesn't mean immediate. John 14, 3, Jesus told the disciples this. He said, when everything is ready, I will come and get you. And so that you will always be with me where I am. So when God says it's ready, he will come back and get us. He doesn't say, when I do this or when I finish that, things will be ready. He just says, when everything is ready. When everything is ready, I'm coming back. So we have to live our lives prepared to meet the Savior at any moment. It's interesting to me when you look at that verse, Jesus goes to prepare a place for us, and in the meantime, he's preparing us for that place. 
The second reason that the rapture could happen today is because it's a surprise event. You know, many have tried to predict the rapture and the return. You know, at one point it was 1988. It was Y2K. It was in 2012 because that's what the Mayan calendar said. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So no one, not the angels, not even Jesus, at least when he was on earth. He knows now, but while he was on earth, he did not know the hour or the day of his return. So be cautious if someone tells you they know when it will happen, because Jesus says no one knows. There's no asterisk by that verse that says, uh, no one knows except this guy, or no one knows except that lady. It says no one knows. St. Augustine once said, he said, the last day is hidden from us in order that every day may be taken seriously. So not knowing when Jesus will come causes us to be ready for him all the time. Now, the third reason it could happen today is because it's a sudden event. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, It will happen suddenly, quicker than the blink of an eye. The blink of an eye is anywhere between one and four-tenths of a second. Another translation actually says, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, the twinkling of an eye refers to light reflecting on the retina. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So in less than a nanosecond, Jesus will call the believers to himself. He even tells us in Matthew 24 that two people will be working in a field and one will be gone. Just like that. That's what it will be like. There are no signs that precede the rapture, but there will be a sign that announces the rapture. Verse 16, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, the Lord himself will come down. He will, he will personally come down, and there will be some kind of audible signal to mark that event. It says, a commanding shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. Now, whether that's three sounds or that's three descriptions of one sound, there will be some kind of audible event to mark the rapture, because the rapture won't be silent and it won't be secret. But there will be many who won't understand the sound or its meaning. And they won't understand because the rapture only involves Christians. All three of those passages about the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, they all teach that the rapture only involves believers. Paul refers to those at Thessalonica as brothers and sisters and those that believe that Jesus died and rose again. In 1 Corinthians 15, 23, it says, But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Believers belong to Christ. But knowing that the rapture is for Christians... How does that impact, how does that make the, the rapture impact our lives today? 
I mean, the rapture is a, it's a source of hope because death isn't final. It's also a source of strength while we wait for it to happen. And as we wait for it to happen, it impacts us because we should expect it. Every day. Every minute of every day, expect it. Revelation 22.12 says, look, I am coming soon. And don't miss the note of urgency and the warning in what Jesus says there. His message is this, always be ready. We have to expect it. It also impacts us because we should prepare for it. Live every day as if he were coming that day. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, it says this, God has shown us undeserved grace by coming to save all people. He taught us to give up our wicked ways and our worldly desires and to live decent and honest lives in this world. We are filled with hope as we wait for the glorious return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's grace teaches us how to live in this world. Give up wicked ways, give up worldly desires. Live with hope as we wait for his return. In 1 John 2, verse 28, it says, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. When you're living every day like he, he could be there, that changes how you, what you do during that day. Remain in fellowship with him. Don't be afraid or ashamed when Jesus comes back. We belong to him. He calls us by name, and we have confidence at his coming. But I think we should add maybe a third impact. We are to expect it. We are to prepare for it. We should also share it. We should share the truth of the rapture. There's an inscription on a tombstone in England that says this. It says, pause, stranger. When you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. There's a story of someone who saw that, a passerby, and he responded this way. To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. You know what? We need to be like Paul Revere. The rapture is coming. The rapture is coming. We need to share the truth. If you believe in Christ, then you will be caught up in the air when the rapture happens. If you don't believe in Christ, then when the rapture occurs, you're not going to have the chance to make that decision when it happens. So the question is, are you rapture ready? If the rapture happened now, would you be caught up in the air to meet the Lord Jesus? If you don't know the answer to that question, you can. Because to be rapture ready, you have to make a decision about the gospel. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? The good news of the gospel is this. We are all sinners. 
The penalty for sin is death. Now I know I just said that the gospel is good news, but that's bad news. You have to understand the bad news so that you can understand the good news. The good news of the gospel is summed up in John 3.16. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die in our place. He paid the penalty for all of us. God sent Jesus to save the world, to save you and to save me. If you believe in him, John 3.16 says you won't perish, but instead you'll have eternal life. Jesus died on that cross, paid the penalty for our sins, but that wasn't the end because three days later he rose from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God and offering the gift of salvation to all who repent and believe in him. If you believe, if you believe that, if you believe the truth of the gospel, why don't you tell him? Right where you sit this morning, you can just whisper this prayer. Just say, Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. So Lord, this morning I ask for your forgiveness. I repent of my sin. I turn from sin, I turn towards you. I want you to know that I believe. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins I believe that three days later he rose. And right here, right now, this morning, I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. I want to spend my life living for you. I want to know that I am rapture ready. Lord, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for sending Jesus. And with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, no one's looking around, but if you prayed that prayer with me this morning, if you made a decision about the gospel, would you just let me know and raise a hand? Once you put them up, you can put them down. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your blessings, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. Lord, I thank you for the hands that went up. Lord, I pray for a hedge of protection around each of them. I pray that you will create in them and in us just a desire to dig into the truth of your word, to share that word, to go and tell people. Lord, I pray that you give us the words to, to share the gospel, but also so that people will be, names will be added to the Lamb's Book of Life that you will use us to make more people ready for the rapture. And we pray in your name. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. If you accepted Christ, want to accept Christ, or just want to see what Park Valley Church is about, you can email us at info at parkvalleychurch.com. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.